Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. Yeah, old lady! Ed Grady. I'm not surprised the only women you see naked are in magazines. Tyler Bischoff. Again, this is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. We're back in action. Ed, Tyler, and Jared, the crew is back together. And we'll be here for two days, and then we won't be back together again. So, like, we may be here for two days, then who will be gone be for your Raiders practice. Other people will be there. We're not really sure who's going to be here. Jared, maybe. Will Ben Wallace be here? What no. There? Because so no. I, I have not seen Jared in a state of shock and disappointment and maybe anger like I have this morning. No. Um, for those of you that are unaware, Jared bought, we determined it was about six foot five. Uh, it was Wallace, a little underinflated. Uh, a Ben Wallace, like, inflatable thing that's six foot five. And it was in the studio Friday. I mean, I J- saw a picture of it on Twitter. Yeah, JBC yes. walked up to compare his height to Ben yeah. Wallace and everything. And it is no longer it's in the stolen. studio, and Jared is not happy about this because it, you you bought this? yes you with my own this. money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who do we think took the inflatable Ben Wallace? Let's put, mean, yeah, let's put people on blast. Who would be the one person <laughs> to take the inflatable <laughs> Ben Wallace? I mean, I the only person. So Ari comes in Friday after me, but <sighs> I don't see Ari. Like, no. where would he put? Unless he really wants to drive in the HOV lane. <laughs> I don't see him taking it. <laughs> and Cofield and company was out were out on location. And so I'm about to look up what other things happened to this studio. <laughs> Who's over the weekend? Who are the weekend people that we don't know about? I mean, there's a couple, but they're I mean, I know them all. And so it's like it's Mateo and it's Ryan who are both uh... like and they're here at midnight. So I doubt. I very much doubt that they're wandering in this studio, which would be completely dark. <laughs> to take, ben to Wallace. take ben a Wallace. six foot five inflatable Ben Wallace that I paid for. It's a great mystery of Lotus Broadcasting right now. Where Where's is the ben inflatable Wallace? Ben Wallace? I'm. I am going to put our our head guy, who will literally sit in front of a camera to find out if someone stole a candy bar. I'm going to put him on this, <laughs> and he is going to track whoever took him down. The first bite. Is Derek Carr a Hall of Famer? Hot take. Oh, no. Oh, look at you. <laughs> Come on. No. So, not a Hall of Famer. This is, this is some of like. This was strange, by the yeah, way. Yeah, strange is a good word. So, Devontae Adams talked to CBS Sports and he gave this quote about, you know, going to a new team, not playing with Aaron Rodgers, playing with a new quarterback, Derek Carr. And Devontae Adams said, anytime you change quarterbacks from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. And when people saw that quote, they uh, tended to assume that Devontae Adams was saying that he was going from Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers to Hall of Famer Derek Carr. And like you... I don't know that there's anybody without the last name Carr that thinks Derek Carr is a no. Hall of Famer. No. Uh, so then, what, Adams was asked to clarify this on Sunday? I was in the room. <laughs> and he said, well, first off, he gave some answer about lyrics and rap songs or whatever. Yeah. But eventually he said, what I meant to say 
was even if you go Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, it's an adjustment. I wasn't saying Hall of Famer Aaron to Hall of Famer Derek, so I'm not retracting my statement at all. What I'm not going to do is take away from that statement because why is Derek not a Hall of Famer? What? I mean, I left one key word out there because that's not exactly what I meant, but I do think that Derek's career is Hall of Fame worthy. And why not? Does he have the MVPs right now? No. Does he have the Super Bowl? No. That's obviously what we're chasing. Okay, I was in the room. I was more confused when he left the room than when he entered it about what he was saying about lyrics and rapping and 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 what he meant and what he didn't mean. Here's why he's not a Hall of Famer. He's never won anything. He's 57 and 70 overall. They've been to one playoff with him. They've they qualified for another playoffs. He was hurt. He can't he can't uh, help that. They've never won anything with him. And again, it's not all his fault. He's the quarterback. That's how quarterbacks are judged. He's 57 and 70. He's not a Hall of Famer. He's not near a Hall of Famer. And I know this is his buddy. I know it's his college roommate, or excuse me, college teammate. Might have been his roommate. I'm not sure. College teammate, guy he's always wanted to play with. But we're getting way over the skis here with that Derek Carr is any close to a Hall of Fame. Okay. So I love two things that Devontae Adams says that I do think Derek Carr's career is Hall of Fame worthy. And then immediately says, does he have the MVPs? No. Does he have the Super Bowl? No. No. So. No, it's not Hall of Fame worthy no. right now. If Derek Carr wins a Super Bowl, wins an MVP in the last, whatever, 10 years of his career, however long he plays, then maybe, <laughs> but that doesn't make his, Hall of Fame, his career Hall of Fame worthy right now. But the other part that I absolutely love about this is that there is almost nobody saying that Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer, and somehow Devontae Adams talked himself into his own problem. Right. Like this is all his own doing where he gave an original quote saying going from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer and he talked himself in he talked himself into a situation where if we take him at his word that he just meant to say even if you go Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer right that he wasn't actually calling Carl Hall of Famer that he then talked himself into a scenario where he had to defend Derek Carr as a Hall of Famer because Devontae Adams I mean, I guess he could, but Devontae Adams can't really just come out and say, well, Derek Carr's not a Hall of Famer. Clearly, I didn't mean that. No, he can't come. He can't backtrack to that point. So, like, he talked himself into this problem where he now has to try to say Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer. And he did it to himself. Like, nobody did this other than Devontae Adams. It's we, great. We brought up guys yesterday. Um, Phil Sims, two-time Super Bowl winner, Super Bowl MVP. Not a Hall of Famer, and I don't think he should be. I mean, that guy has won two Super Bowls. He's an MVP of the Super Bowl. So it's preposterous to even put Derek Carr in any kind of Hall of Fame <laughs> conversation right now. The, the numbers prove it out. I agree with you in that Devontae Adams, his good friend, said a statement that obviously he's not going to walk in the room yesterday with all the media there. And he said he knew it was coming. He said he knew the question was coming. But I was more confused afterwards. And yet they said, here's the thing. The headlines where he backtracked, backtracking would have said would have meant okay I don't think he's a hall of famer but he's never going to say that so I don't know how much he backtracked because he still insinuated that he thought he had a hall of fame career which is preposterous on every level <laughs> it's so great it's it makes no sense uh has david carr tweeted that his brother is a hall of famer uh, i'm blocked by david carr so i i i'm not, I'm not blocked sure. by darren carr i know darren carr has not i don't believe he's tweeted that he's a hall of famer but I don't know if David Carr, because that's like the only person that would actually come out with the opinion 
Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer right now. Okay, David Carr did tweet the CBS Sports Exchange where he said anytime uh, you change QBs from a Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment. Uh, so he did tweet that. Um, that seems to be the only thing David Carr has tweeted about it. That is David Carr's didn't. passive approval of his brother being a Hall of Famer right now. God. He's passively he, approving he of that. He retweeted with the retweet, comma, but, dot, 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 and then three laughing emojis. I don't know what to read into that. We will decipher emojis here yeah. on the press box. Um, I mean, obviously he's going to. Obviously, I would think that that's some weird sense of way that he agrees with it. Maybe he's laughing at everyone else who's you know kind of ripped his brother and you know said bad things about his brother. So he's saying, "Hey, right. look, look what this guy look, look, what, Devontae look, look what Devontae thinks. Adams thinks." By the way. I know that I will often say that I'm amazed at the NFL and how much coverage it gets of dumb stuff like the combine or the draft. The schedule. A, a, yeah. Oh, that's the big one. The schedule being a t- TV event. This is why it's great because Devontae Adams has to like cover his tracks because he said accidentally Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer. He didn't even explicitly say Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer. He just no. kind of implied that right. he was going to play with a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's now have to answer questions in a press conference. The NFL's phenomenal. It's unbelievable how great it is that this is a legitimate topic, and oh. Devontae Adams got asked questions. Other about than the it. brothers, who would? I mean, do the brothers deep down even think this? I doubt. It. I mean, that's that's the conversation that a dad has to be like. Look, we we all talked about it, son. You're not a <laughs> Hall of Fame. We love you. Like, I I bet if David Carr was on NFL Network this morning, and maybe he's doing it right now, I have no idea, but I bet if David Carr was on NFL Network this morning and they were talking about this, he would lay out, like, his 10-step plan for Derek Carr to get into the Hall to of Fame. To be a Hall of Fame. Right. I don't, th- I don't even think David Carr could come on TV and say, Derek Carr is a Hall of Famer. I, now, But he would come out and say, because, you know, he predicts every year the Raiders are going to win the AFC West and Carr's going to be, be the MVP, MVP and, and the coach everything. is going to be the coach of the year. Right. And, yeah. But, like, if he came out and was like, here's the 10-step plan, right? He's going to win MVP this year. They're going to make it to the Super Bowl. Next year, they're going to win the Super, Bowl. Of the Super Bowl. Right. He'd lay, he'd lay out a 10-step plan that, like, okay, yeah, if he were to win four Super Bowls in the next decade, yeah, he might be a Hall of Famer at that point. But I, I don't even think David Carr would do it right now because, like you said, you can. It, it's a team stat. But if you look at the record of Derek Carr, no. is there any quarterback? Is, is Archie Manning in the Hall of Fame? I'm on it. Is there any quarterback that has like a career losing record? Talking, that's um, Namath has more interceptions than touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, different eras, whatever. But like, is there any quarterback that's ever been on a team that's lost more games than one? And actually made the Hall of Fame. Like the Archie Manning's the one that comes to mind just because he was a good quarterback that I don't Archie know. Archie Manning is in the Hall of Fame slash college. Well, he's definitely in the college <laughs> Hall the of college Fame. College yes. Hall of Fame. They but actually no, won things. No. He's not in the NFL no. Hall of Fame? No. Okay. Two time so, Pro Bowler, Saints Ring of Honor, Saints Hall of Fame. Well, and then everything else I mean, is collegiate. When you're really bad for like a decade, you have to put your best player in the yeah. Hall of Fame. Well, Phil Sims, we found out yesterday, we were nervous because he was a Hall of Fame, but then we saw the word Kentucky in front of it. <laughs> so, he, so we're like, oh, well, he's in the Hall of Fame. It's just not the one we were talking about. If, you're real, if your team is bad for a decade, whoever your best player was during that decade, you, you got to put that guy in your team's Hall of Fame just because yes. he's the only sense yeah. of joy 
Ring of Honors, Hall right. of Fames, all of that like, stuff. Like, UNLV needs to put Jovan Mooring in their Hall of Fame because for two years they were terrible and he was, like, the most fun part of that team. The worst team in UNLV history, Jovan, Jovan Mooring, made it watchable because he would go for 30 occasionally and was actually fun to watch. So, Derek Carr, not a Hall of Famer. Devontae Adams talking himself in the circles. Here's, here's a legitimate question if you want the Hall of Fame talk. Devontae Adams a Hall of Famer? Probably not. No. Like if he At retired point, if he retired today, probably not. Probably not. Now probably not. If he goes on to have, you know, three more 13, 1400 yard seasons right. and maybe they make a run. Right. Then maybe they make a legitimate run. Possibly. But the, and that's the part. We've talked about this a lot. What does Devontae Adams stat line look like for the next however many right. seasons he's with Carr? Like I don't think we're getting a 14, 1500 no. yard season from Devontae Adams. I don't I think, think the offense is structured that way. Right. I think he's going to be a lot closer to the thousand yard yeah. mark. He'll go mm. over it, but I think his over unders are like 11 or 1200, but like, I think he's going to be over a thousand, but I don't think we're talking to here. Okay. Here's the question right now. I think if you were to pull people, Devontae Adams would be considered the number one wide receiver in football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Justin is, Jefferson even said it. Yeah. Is that true at the end of this season? Uh, no. I don't think it is either. I, don't think I think at is. the end of this no. season, we're going to have two or three Justin guys. Justin Jefferson. Yeah, that have massive years while Adams has a good, but not, oh, he leads the league in right. every every receiving right. stat. I think at the end of the year, we're talking about other guys that are considered better. Even if Adams is just as good as he was, I just don't think he's having the same season because he's now playing with a worse quarterback right. and, and he's playing with other guys who are going to get numbers. Yeah. Waller and Renfro are better than Alan Lazard yeah, exactly. and whoever the hell the Packers were running out at tight end last year. So it's just, he's got it's normally a fat guy. He's got, he's got a worse quarterback and better receiving targets next to him, which would ultimately lead to a worse stat line. All right, coming up next. Oh, I got a hot take for you on the golden Knights and flames. Kyler, can we uh, put a quash to baseball now? What do you say? Put us to watch Oh, man. So what? Did you guys see the payroll of the Oakland A's versus his contract? <laughs> Enough said. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. An important update. The inflatable Ben Wallace has been located. Uh, he was in the Fox Sports studio across the hallway. So somebody took him out of here and hid him in Fox. But Jared is happy. His life savings uh, did not go to waste. Well, they did, but I mean, exactly. we can physically see what he spent his life savings on, whereas otherwise they would have been stolen before. So Ben Wallace is hey, back. With inflation, the, d- the demand for Ben Wallace is going to go up and all of you guys are going to laugh whenever somebody who's like a millionaire is going to be like, I really need a Ben Wallace, and I will be holding all the cards. All right. The Calgary Flames traded Matthew Kachuk to the Florida Panthers. Matthew Kachuk, 24-year-old, was a restricted free agent that scored 42 goals last season. He then told Calgary he would not sign a long-term deal with the Flames. So Calgary traded him to Florida, and they got Justin Huberto, who is a 28-year-old winger with 30 goals and 85 assists last season. Mackenzie Weger, a top four defenseman, 28 years old, had eight goals and 36 assists last season. Plus, 
They got a prospect, the 2019 second round pick by the Panthers and a first round pick in 2025, though it is lottery protected. So they got two future assets in a prospect and a pick plus two right now assets in a top line uh, forward in Justin Huberto and a top four defenseman in McKenzie Weger. Now, here's my hot take for you. I'm going to bring this back to the Golden Knights. The Golden Knights have traded Marc-Andre Fleury for Mikel Hekarainen, who then never... Well, he never came. Never even played in this <laughs> organization, played. got immediately sent back to Chicago. Uh, Vegas traded Max Pacioretty and Dylan Coughlin for nothing. They traded Nate Schmidt for a third-round pick. Ooh, got something. They traded Paul Stasny for a fourth-round pick. Those are the big four trades where they have traded either like high level or at least legitimately good NHL players and gotten very poor value or in some cases, nothing at all. Now, none of those players are as good as Matthew Kachuk, right? They just aren't. But Vegas got for a starting goalie who had won the Vesna, Vesna. the all-time leader in goals per game in Pacioretty, a top pair level defenseman in Nate Schmidt and a top six winger in Stasny, uh, or excuse me, center. They got a third and fourth round pick. Meanwhile, the Calgary Flames, for a guy who said he wasn't going to sign with the team, got two NHL-level players right now and two future assets. The Calgary Flames had zero leverage in the trade of Matthew Kachuk. They did not have any No, because everyone knew he wasn't signing. He said he wasn't going to sign there. They had to trade him. Right. Or, I mean, they could have signed him again, and he would have played this year and then walked. But they had to trade him. They had no leverage, and they got a 100-point forward, a defenseman that played in 80 games last year, and two future assets. How did Calgary, with no leverage, win that trade? Because most people, if you go read people that cover hockey and their trade grades this morning or yesterday, the Calgary Flames won the mm-hmm. trade. The Calgary Flames have gotten like an A from everybody for what they got. Yes, he's better than anybody traded away from Vegas, but we've been told for multiple seasons now, well, the Golden Knights don't have any leverage, so you can't expect them to get anything when they trade these guys. They just have to trade them for nothing. Meanwhile, the Flames, who had no leverage, got a massive haul in return for Matthew Kachuk. You're telling me Matthew Kachuk, who forces his way out of Calgary, gets traded for four assets and Max Pacioretty gets zero? Max Pacioretty has to have an asset added to him? So what's your hot take about traded? Kelly McCrimmon? The front office is terrible. <laughs> How? How are they trading guys for nothing when other guy, other teams with no leverage are being traded for legitimate returns? And listen, think outside of hockey. Ben Simmons was not playing basketball for the 76ers. They had zero leverage to trade that guy. They got James, James Harden. Harden in return. Yep. Like, are you serious? Like, and imagine right now, the Nationals with Juan Soto. He rejected their their uh, extension. The Nationals, now they've got a couple of years here. They don't have to trade him agent, right now. But they don't have a whole lot of no. leverage once this runs down. But they're going to get a lot. Can you imagine Juan Soto being traded for, like, two double-A yeah. prospects? No. And like Kevin Durant. Future considerations. Right. Kevin Durant. Do the Nets have any leverage? Yeah, he could still play for him for the rest of his contract. But eventually, if they trade him, what leverage do they have? Right? He doesn't want to play there anymore. Can you imagine him being traded for like nobody? 
No. A couple draft picks, right. How in the world have the Golden Knights been like the only outside of football? Football is the one sport where they trade guys for absolutely nothing all of the time. But basketball, hockey, and um, baseball. Baseball. You get things back for the stars. Where you have good players. Right. And they get traded for nothing. The only team that's doing that, and they've done it on a regular basis, is the Golden Knights. Everybody else who's in a no-leverage situation still gets something. They still get something in return. Meanwhile, the Golden Your Knights... Your hot take is the management stinks. They've been awful. They've been absolutely pathetic. And the, we, can, they can, we cannot hear this no-leverage argument anymore when we see the Calgary Flames trade a guy in which they have no leverage in trade talks for legi- a legitimate package. Like if Matthew, if they, if Matthew Kachuk had never said, I don't want to sign there and they decided to trade him anyways, that might've been what they got in return. They might've gotten like one more future asset. in Well, there. was Kachuk so valuable? The teams were just, there were several teams worried that someone else would get him. So they felt they had to right. give up. And, th- and that's what happens in all of these situations. Every single one of these situations where a team has no leverage there's there's other teams that want them and say, well, we might as well we because might as we well don't do want it. Team C to right. get them. We don't. We want them. We don't want somebody else to do right. it. But for whatever reason, when the Golden Knights trade Max Pacioretty, you're telling me there's nobody that wants him. Not a single team was willing to give up a third round pick for Max Pacioretty. That's ridiculous to think. There's no way that's true. Somehow this front office cannot make legitimate trades. They can't do it, and I don't know if it's because the rest of the league has decided we're just simply not making deals with I Vegas. I think there's some truth to that. And if that's the case, they have to be fired. If the rest of the league is looking at Vegas and saying we're just not going to make trades, and so from here on out, when McCrimmon and McPhee are trying to make deals, the rest of the league is like kind of colluded to not make deals with them, you have to fire them. Well, is it they more McCrimmon and McPhee or just the Golden Knights and everything I they've mean, done? I imagine if they were fired today and it was a new front office, that, that would change. That a new they'd have diff, they'd have a different relationship with the rest of the league, whoever the new GM would be. But like, if you're telling me from here on out, while those two are running the team, that no other team is willing to work with them, they can't be your front office. They just can't. You're you're never gonna have like the backspatch ready trade is like unacceptable. That's an unacceptable trade. And if it's because the rest of the league is refusing to work with McPhee, McPhee and McCrimmon, they can't be in your front yeah. office anymore. They just can't because that's a you're you're never gonna be able to make an. Uh, Trade again. It's just not going to happen. You're going to pay a premium on every single thing that you do, and your organization's, uh, the players, the roster, the assets on your in your organization are just going to decrease every single season. I just cannot believe that the Golden Knights got nothing, while everybody else seems to have no problem getting actual value in return for guys they have no leverage with when trading. Coming up next, Andy Amashta from the Review Journal. Rips it over to Jackie to Asia. She's going to launch one from three. Asia Wilson triple time from the left corner. Asia doing it all. Inside, mid-range, deep. 67-57. Aces match their largest lead of 10. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. All right, Andy, help me out because I forgot. Did you tell us last time you were on the I and your last name is silent? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Okay. Andy Yamashita. Did I get it right? Yes, sir. Okay, there we go. I, I remembered it was a letter that I've never heard being silent before, but it's the <laughs> I. Uh, Andy Yamashita joins us now from the Review Journal. Um, all right, first off, how what what was the best soccer game that you saw at Allegiant Stadium over the last couple of weeks? 
<laughs> well, I mean, first off, thanks for having me, y'all. Um, but, I mean, I can't pick against El Clasico. It was still a preseason friendly, so, you know, we said mass substitutions at halftime, but those two teams playing uh, at Allegiant Stadium, it was pretty unbelievable. Uh, 61,299, I believe, was the final attendance. Uh, press row packed like it was a, a Raider game. Unbelievable experience. Really cool. Well, you saw more than that go to the Raider games. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's that's got to be the biggest crowd. That and BTS. BTS, BTS and Barcelona. And then Barcelona and then the Raiders would be third. <laughs> you never know. You never know. But, yeah, that was, that was fantastic. But, I mean, all the games were great. Juventus Chivas was very cool. And Chelsea... Club America was also amazing. Uh, the Chivas and Club America fans also figured out how to get players into the stadium somehow. Uh, so that kind of increased the atmosphere <laughs> there too. Uh, I have I have not watched a soccer game from the press box at Allegiant Stadium, but I've been to a couple. And my main complaint is that I can't see the entire sideline from my seat. Can you see the entirety <laughs> of the playing field from the press box? Yeah, I mean, I could. I had no complaints. Great view. Yeah, it was it was uh, pretty fantastic, <laughs> and then I had no complaints. Over under on how many people were in the press box? I I had a number yesterday at the books of like eight. Oh, for El Clasico, it was definitely more. At okay, least one side was pretty packed out, and even the side I was on was pretty full. Yeah, there was there wasn't a ton of space. All right. Las Vegas Aces, I know you didn't cover their last game because you were covering Barcelona-Real Madrid. (laughs) But do you believe they've fixed their defense over these last couple of games, or is it more about them playing um, some of the worst teams in the WNBA? I don't think it can't be both. And I also don't think that there is a permanent fix to the Aces' defense necessarily. Sure, some of it is tactical, but I think, They've said it a little bit, too. A lot of it is effort. It's making that extra effort to close out to a three-point shooter after good rotation from the other team. It's being committed to stopping at the uh, point of attack. So I don't know if there is as much of a total fix to the Aces defense. as like It's not like Becky Hammond can wave a wand and they'll never be bad at defense ever again. But I think there are some encouraging signs. It is definitely fair to point out Sparks and Fever, not two of the greatest offensive teams in the league by any means. So it's definitely still something to keep watching, but there were positive strides. You can only beat the teams that you play against. They did a decent job against both. We'll see how they do on this road trip. Are they good enough offensively to win a title if they're bad as they have been defensively? No, absolutely not. They lost the game, I think it was 116-107 last week. You just can't outshoot every team you're going to play. I think that they're good enough to make the playoffs just trying to outshoot anybody. They already made the playoffs kind of doing that. But this team, and Becky Hammond, no, she talks about it all the time. This team can't expect to go out and hit every shot and beat every team like that. It starts on the other side of the ball. I think one thing in the last game that I covered, which was the fevers that I thought was encouraging for them, was they really tried to be purposeful about giving De'Erica Hamby 
drawn setup plays when in the past a lot of her scoring has come in transition. When you're playing bad defense, not getting live ball stops, the other team's not missing shots because they're getting wide open ones. You miss out on a lot of those transition opportunities, and I think that Erica was getting the brunt of that more than anybody else just because she relies on those opportunities so much. So it's almost less about needing to defend, but even more about you need to defend because that is a significant part of their attack too. How legitimate do you think Kelsey Plum's case is for MVP? I mean, I think it would be a lot better if Asia Wilson wasn't on her team. (laughs) I just don't think that they're both playing at such a high level, but I do still think that everything on this team starts with Asia. And just that fact alone, I don't know if Kelsey Plum will get a big run at MVP. I think what Kelsey's done this year has been spectacular. I think the Aces getting her to re-sign is a big deal. But this team starts and ends with Asia Wilson. At this point, though, I don't think... If you'd asked me back when they were 13-2 and and flying at the beginning of the season, one of them winning MVP seemed inevitable. Now, they're both going to split votes, maybe. You've got other teams in the league playing extremely well. Chicago looks very, very dangerous. You could give MVP consideration to Candace Parker, Kalia Copper, a couple of different players on that team. Seattle still looks good. Brianna Stewart looks pretty unbeatable right now, too. So I think combined with the Aces' kind of downturn in form and the fact that Asia and Kelsey are on the same team might kind of steal votes from each other. We haven't talked to you since Kelsey signed her extension. They've done that with uh, a few players. Do you like that sense that they're wrapping these uh, these uh, uh, ladies up for two years at least? It's definitely interesting. I think they're committing to this being how they're going to play and that they can fix some of the issues that their lineups have shown over the last couple of weeks, which I think is totally reasonable. It would have been tough to watch Kelsey walk away after you empowered her and gave her the opportunity to have the season that she's having, so I understand that. But, again, these aren't flawless lineups. They're small defensively. You're committing to Asia having to guard centers all year long. She's giving up several inches and several pounds almost in every matchup, which is a lot to ask of of a forward. So I think if they win the title this year, I think it looks great. If they don't win the title, you maybe say run it back, but – it's not like this guarantees they will win the finals the next two years, but it guarantees they'll be in the mix. And that's sometimes the best you can ask for, I think, in roster construction. Which Golden Knight was better at throwing T-shirts, Keegan Colasar or Logan Thompson? Oh, man, they did that at halftime, and I was writing my game story at the time, <laughs> so I don't totally know off the top of my head. Can Deadline. Can I just be Kelsey Plum? <laughs> yes, the answer could always just be Kelsey Plum. Um, at Mountain West Media Days, to change to some UNLV football here, did you have any big takeaways from talking to Marcus Arroyo? I think, oh man, I didn't know you guys were going to ask me about that. I was all thinking about aces this morning. <laughs> I think that they know what they have to do. I think it's still going to be an uphill battle The Mountain West didn't get any worse necessarily. So where you find those 
three, four wins compared to last year, I think is still a little questionable. But Arroyo is really excited to have a full camp, a full preseason. He mentioned that he went through his notes at the last or before uh, from last fall camp and couldn't figure out why he had all these different time slots marked in and then realized it was because last time he did a fall camp, you couldn't have a certain amount of players in the weight room at the same time. So, you know, it is his third season, but it is his first kind of regular season. So it'll be interesting. I think it's still going to be real tough, but you never know. Did you uh, believe him or how genuine did he think? He thought, because I know you wrote about this, where he said he has learned as a head coach, where he said um, he knows that he can be better as a head coach. Did you take him as genuine or did you take him as a guy who knows he's 2-16 and 16 and people are saying, hey, you know, you got you to gotta come back here a little humble here. You're 2-16. and 16. I don't think it can't be both. I think the record record obviously exists. That's his record as UNLV's head coach. There's no denying that right there on paper. Anyone can look it up. But I did get a sense that it's been a humbling experience for him coming from a big program like Oregon, also coming from a big program where Oregon football is the the only thing in that immediate market. So they're kind of unquestioned, I guess, in their area. It's now coming to Las Vegas where you've got all these other teams competing for fans and for time on television and stuff like that. But I did get the sense that he did some self-evaluation and he talked a lot about communication with his players, with his staff, his own organizational skills. And I think acknowledging any shortcomings there can't hurt. Recognizing where you need to improve can't start until you recognize you need to improve. So I think, I think they can both be true. Well, he is Andy Yamashita, Silent Eye, from the Review Journal. Andy, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Of course. Happy to talk to you guys. Take care of yourself. Uh, did you think it was genuine? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has he given I a just, genuine answer since he's been the head coach? Here? I mean, I'm, I read the quotes. I wasn't there. I was there for a little bit, as you know, and then I came back uh, – to the show, so I wasn't there. I got my questions in, and then I'd leave to come back. So I, w- I don't think I was there when he talked about that. So I can't really say how he looked or how how he sounded. But I did read the quotes in Andy's story about how he's learned. Whether he's genuine, or, I, I hope he has learned something. Right? Well, I mean, every coach should learn. Whether you're two and sixteen or sixteen and two, you should learn something as you go along. Here's the here's the problem. They we've talked about this before during last season. They have multiple times in two years had to either call timeout or take in a delay a game after a kickoff before the offense walked onto the field because he was talking to the offense while the play clock was running down. Like he having a conversation with his players caused them delay a games or to burn a timeout. That happened multiple times. That's just, that's just a coach who's not prepared for the situation or unaware of what you're supposed to be doing at that point. And then, um, which game was it? Was it UTSA last year where they had the ball with like eight minutes to go and they losing and they, the clock ran out on them. They didn't score a touchdown or anything. They didn't run out of downs. They didn't turn it over. The clock ran out of them. They had an eight minute drive while losing that ended the game before they could actually score. That's just poor clock management. 
Oh, there, there's been a lot of examples of just poor in-game coaching. Now, off the field, communication, whatever. We don't really get to see that. If he wants to say he's better than that now, fine. But if we see it on the field this year where they're still having the same issues where it's like, oh, the coach is talking to them and the play clock's at four, then you can't really believe him when he says he's been a better coach. But if all that's cleaned up and they don't lose games because of coaching, I mean, his quarterback decisions last year were atrocious. He started the worst of the quarterbacks in the first game of the season last year. Like, that's awful. So if we actually see it this year and it translates on the field to better coaching decisions, then yeah, we'll believe it. But until then, no, I don't. I, whatever you say about I've gotten better communicating is kind of irrelevant. He hasn't earned us believing it. Right. I mean, we haven't seen anything from Marcus Arroyo as a coach or this team that makes you think, yeah, they're on the right track. We just, They lost a lot of close games. Like, that's the best thing you can point to. That hey, they were they were in a lot of games, but like coaching, you can probably point to being a big reason why they lost a lot of the season opener. If Justin Rogers doesn't start that, they probably win. If he didn't make the wrong decision as to who his quarterback would be. All right, coming up next, we make fun of the Angels. My smaller teammate, where you at, Pedroia? Pee wee, pee wee grabbed me by the neck one time, and he told me, if you keep on pulling the ball, I'm gonna whoop you. And guess what? Big Papi got caught up on fire. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. Okay, did you see Victor Robles and Madison Bumgarner? Uh, on the home run. So Victor Robles plays yeah. for the Nationals, hit a home run. Uh, game was out of hand. Like it wasn't. A, it was an eighth inning home run when they were down big, and he celebrated his home run. Didn't do anything ridiculous he just watched his home run admired his home run and madison bumgarner after the game said victor robles was a clown yeah clown show for admiring his home run because the game was out of hand so the next day victor robles in the dugout put on a red clown nose (laughs) that's tremendous that's tremendous (laughs) these two guys are playing different sports right and then Victor Robles' manager got mad at him and said, we don't do that. Oh, come on. You're the Nationals. You need any positive right. thing you can get. What do you do? I mean, you're just terrible. Let the guy wear. I wish he could come out in the full, like, you know, crazy hair and the nose and maybe some big floppy <laughs> shoes. It's terrific. So, Victor Robles, uh, please keep doing that. Don't listen to your manager. Uh, keep doing that. Don't listen to Madison Bumgarner either. Now, this would be a fun story. John Morosi uh, reported this over the weekend, but... MLB teams have called to ask about Shohei Otani, but the angels apparently have indicated that they won't trade Otani. Should the angels consider trading Shohei? When is Otani up? So he would be a free agent after the 2023 season. So this year, next year, and then he's a free agent. So he's like Soto. No, Soto's got one extra year on top of that. Soto's not a free agent until after 2024. Soto's the rest of this season and then two more. Otani's the rest of this season and then one more. So 2023, after that year, Otani would become a free agent. I mean, I guess you have to sit down and discuss whether you think you're going to be competitive at all, right? Right. I mean, so if you're the if Angels. you're going to keep being this way, then maybe you do listen to some offers. If you're the Angels, you're out of it this year. You're not making the yeah, playoffs no. this season. Do you believe you can make the playoffs and make a run at the World Series next season? 
and I'm sure they believe they can, but we have seen this organization fail for, are we getting close to a decade since their last What's postseason What's Troutman in one playoff? One postseason, and I want to say it was 14 or 16 or 15, something like that. Like we're, we're a few years away from a decade since they last went to the postseason. A lot of it's been because they cannot find quality pitching. A lot of it's been because they can't find guys more than like four guys that can hit a baseball. Uh, they just have not put a good roster together for Mike Trout and now for Mike or for Shohei, Shohei Otani. Otani. And here's the thing. If you're the Angels and you sit down realistically next season, they're probably the third best team in the AOS, mm-hmm. right? The Astros and the Mariners, and the Mariners are, better. are both going to be better. There's a legitimate chance the Texas Rangers are better because the Rangers spent a lot of money this offseason. They're like on four or five games under 500 at the moment. But if they go out and spend some money and call up some more prospects, the Rangers probably not good, but they might be better than the Angels next season. They might hell they'll, they'll finish this year ahead of the Angels most likely too. So the path to the Angels being legitimately competitive and winning like and, and trying to win a World Series requires them to be a wild card team because it's very, very unlikely they win the division next season. If I'm the Angels, I think you try to trade Shohei I think, Well, I, like Calgary in the NHL, I think you listen to offers. Yeah. I mean, who knows what someone would give right. up for that guy? Because what the Angels have lacked for years is depth, right? right. They, well, they lack pitching, but they've lacked depth in their lineup. They've had a legitimate, you know, top three or four hitters in the league when Trout's healthy. Their top three or four for the last few years has been good, right? They just don't have depth. And if you can trade Otani and you can Get turn like Otani. Five, six guys. Right. You turn him into a few guys that are legitimate MLB players. That's probably more valuable mm-hmm. to the Angels than Shohei Otani is. Like, as good as he is, and he's the most valuable player in baseball because he does both. That's probably more legitimate. And that's the thing. We talk about what the trade return for Juan Soto would be. Oh, Tani's a pitcher and a hitter, man. Like, and he's great at both. Like, you got to get a huge haul for him.